coming up on this transatlantic episode. A glimpse of what Cluffy was like behind the scenes. Cluffy was generous. Uh, he was a good father. Not just to his boys, but to, maybe to us as well, you know, in many ways. But uh, he had a gentle side. When he had to be tough, by crikey, move out of the way, you know? Plus an unforgettable reunion. I go to watch Forest play one day, towards the end of his time there. And Archie Gamble was working for Brian. So I go in the boardroom after the game and I said to Archie, is there any way I can spend five minutes with the boss? So all of a sudden, Archie comes, come, come, he wants to see you. And you'll hear about the player who enjoyed having a joke with Cluffy. Sammy Chapman playing cricket, he used to love to call Brian, Brian. <laughs> yeah. we, ne we never called him Brian, we called him Boss. Yes. But, but Sammy, knowing it was a cricket match, and knowing he was playing for Forest and not for Derby, he used to call him Brian. <laughs> oh, and he, he used to laugh like crazy, and so and we all did. And he got away with it, did he? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, hey, tough... Uh, you know, he wasn't always serious. He had no. a really humorous side to him. All that and a lot more. Some great Cluffy memories when we link up with a special guest in the United States over the next 35 minutes. You're listening to the Green Jumper podcast with me, Marcus Alton, the editor of BrianClough.com. And we're joined now from Seattle by Alan Hinton, who Brian Clough signed in 1967. One of the legends of the game. Thanks for joining us, Alan. How's Seattle? Well, the weather's been really nice. It's a bit cooler today. It's probably about 65 but it's, it's been very nice, and it's a lovely place to live. And uh, we've gone through the pandemic. Things seem to be easing up, so that's good. Brilliant. Well, thanks ever so much for, for joining us today. You were described by Brian Clough in his autobiography as the nicest of men. Um, how would you describe Clough? Well, he could be the nicest of men when he wanted to be. And uh, uh, we've all seen that side of him, uh, particularly the fans who he loved, his family, and his players. And uh, But when he had to be tough, by crikey, he'd move out of the way. You know, he, he knew how to get the best out of his players. And, of course, his relationship with his mate, Peter Taylor, was... Uh, they played the dog and pony show all the time. And it was, uh, you know, it, one guy would put the arm around the players, the other one would punch him in the mouth, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> Good cop, but, bad cop. Oh, absolutely, and they did it all the time. And uh, and of course, if you got on his bad side, you were in big trouble. But sometimes he'd pick on you. He'd pick on Toddy. He'd pick on McFarland. Uh, he, he, but he never picked on picked on Dave McKay. Never. But you know, we'd have a go at Kevin, uh, but nicely. Kevin uh, Hexer. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. He'd have a go at me sometimes, but I I, I really felt he liked me. And uh, once I understood him. Uh, which took several months for me when I left Forest. But once I understood his game, I, I learned to play the game with him, you know, and often the, the best thing to do with him was to keep out of the way. <laughs> how how did he motivate you? Was it a case maybe of, of winding you up so you'd go on the pitch and say to yourself, I'll show you? 
Well, no, I think it, from the beginning, he was a genius at that. And uh, I remember one time in the second division, we went to Norwich, and at halftime, we were 3 nothing up. And we came off the field, and we had a smile on our face, and he said, you can take that smile off your face. You haven't started playing yet. And he was always about uh, making sure you didn't think it was easy. He, he, he liked it if you were always searching for better. He wanted us to be good sportsmen, which we were. He didn't want us to fight referees. He wanted us to adore the fans and spend time with the fans. Uh, but when it came to the games, uh, you know, we'd go to the Midland Hotel often uh, the night before the home games. And uh, we'd play cricket on the, the green lawn at the back. We'd, we'd go in for dinner. He, he'd get a crate of beer and he'd get a bottle of sherry. And you could have two beers the night before the game. It was really relaxing. And, of course... You know, he'd pick on people. You know, he, you know, we'd sit in the room together, and he was clearly the star of the show, and uh, he just loved his boys, you know. And then he'd make us walk from the Midland Hotel to the baseball ground on a Saturday morning, which was probably about a mile. He did that because he wanted us to meet with the fans on the way to the game. And uh, he had all these little tricks. I mean, remember, we played... Uh, Benfica in the Champions League, I think it was a quarterfinal. And uh, he knew the way Benfica played, which was short passing. So he decided that uh, he'd get the Derbyshire Fire Brigade to water the pitch before the game. Yes. And, and, that was, and that was great. And they had a great time and had a couple of beers with Brian after they'd done the waterlogging of the field. <laughs> the problem was it rained like crazy after that. And uh, the, the Benfica team couldn't handle it, but we could. And of course, we won. We won very nicely, three nothing, I think. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned, you know, relaxation w w was a, a key element, and I think on one occasion he let you watch the uh, lunchtime racing on the television, horse racing, before going to Leicester for a match. But um, you got caught up in the traffic, and you were running late. Well, that was that's a great story, and that's in my book. And uh, what we did, we stayed overnight in Leicester, or lunch uh, at, at a hotel near just off the M1. Yes. And he let us watch some of uh, the 130 race, I think, because quite a few of the players uh, used to, to have a bet, you know. So as soon as the race was over, we jumped on the bus. The problem was that every single Derby County fan must have been going the same way as we were to the <laughs> ground. And and we were just stuck. I mean, totally stuck. All of a sudden, he sees a police car. He jumps out of the bus, jumps in the police car in the passenger seat. And, of course, we're, we're standing up cheering and cheering. All of a sudden, the police car gets us out. Honestly, we were taking bets that he would take the, tell the police car driver to get out of the car and he'd drive it. <laughs> uh, but it, it was hilarious. And, of course, in those days, you had to be at the game half an hour before to hand in your team sheet, otherwise you were fined. And we just about made it. And, of course, we're, I'm sure we won because we were in such a good mood, you know, because each uh, once again showed 
great leadership, which he, which he was. He was a leader, and I'm sure the policemen had a lot of fun listening to him, you know? <laughs> I bet they did. I bet they did. And I was reading a book by the, the former journalist George Edwards, and he recalled an incident where I think you had, had turned up just slightly late to the dressing room, and despite your apology, Clough said, right, that's a fine of £10. And even though you tried to explain each time you did, the fine went up. Oh, you you, you couldn't take him on, and uh, but I, I will give him a lot of credit. If you proved him wrong by facts, and you had the guts to take him on, he'd start laughing because he knew he'd been found out. And uh, there was another time we went to the uh, talk of the Midlands. Uh, a wonderful fan, Frank Charlton who was best friends with Dave Mackay, took us to see uh, Tommy Cooper. Yes. At the at the talk of the Midlands. And, of course, we all went there. Frank had got the best tickets on the front row. Uh, Cloppy was on the front row with his wife. The players and their wives were behind. And Tommy Cooper started messing them out with Cloppy. And he, he got this pack of cards and he said, pick a card. <laughs> so Cluffy picked a card and then Tommy turned his back with the cards and he said, uh, uh, put it in there, don't tell me what it is. And then Tommy sh- shuffled the cards and he, he picked a card and he said, is this one? And Cluffy said, no. Nope. And then he went, is this one? Is this the one? No. <laughs> you know what he did? He threw all the cards at Cluffy and he said, hey, find it yourself. <laughs> and uh we all fell on the floor laughing, but Cluffy was laughing. He yeah. thought he was hilarious too, you know? He had a laugh at himself, yes. yeah. And then there was Michael Yarwood. I watched him at the Talk of the Midlands as well, and he, he asked me in the bar afterwards, Michael, he said, do you think uh, Mr. Clough would, uh, would object if I, if I took him off and uh, impersonated him? And I said, you know, Michael, he will love it. Yeah. And, of course, he did. And uh, it was a fascinating time. It was an, it was an amazing time in Derby's history. If I had to just take you back briefly, obviously you played for Forest before Derby, and you played for England as well, getting some mm-hmm. some great England caps. I understand that the, the the Forest manager then Johnny Carey he he tried to persuade you to stay at the City Ground. Well, what what happened was the last time I played for England was against Wales. And we won 3 nothing. and I ran Stuart Williams and right back ragged. I, I really had a really bad <laughs> blinder, you know? Yes. And then I didn't get picked again, oh. uh, which really, with no explanation, I mean, Ramsey, I think the fact that he was a fullback, he didn't like wingers, but... Yeah. You can't criticize Ramsey because they won the World Cup and uh, we won the World Cup. But but he didn't, you know, he left me out. And, and I think he'd had a big, big, I uh, must have gone into some kind of depression uh, or whatever because it affected my form. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, I, I was at Forest for four years and I really had a happy time there. And, uh, you know, we got married there. Uh, my wife and I, and then yeah. we had two children there in Nottingham, and we we lived in the same street with Peter Hindley and Henry Newton and Colin Addison, <laughs> and 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 it was a great time in our life. But uh, I think 
being left out of the England squad, cold turkey, just bang out. Yeah. Uh, affected me because, you know, there was nobody who understood. You know, nobody understood how I was feeling, but I, I did lose some form. And, and of course, the emergence of Ian Story Moore, it was a wonderful player. You know, I've talked to it. Ian thought he was a striker. Yeah. And uh, but there was a time when I was on the left wing at Forest, and Ian was on the right wing as a as a young kid. And and you know, we did get to the semi final of the cup, and got I think we finished second in the in the old Division One then. So it was mainly happy days. But then Johnny he came to my house. He came to our house at uh, and he said. Uh, Derby County want to buy you, and I've given them permission to talk to you, but I want you to know, Alan, you don't have to go. That's what he said. Yeah. And, you know, don't forget Johnny Kerr had been to our wedding, and, you know, he, he, he was Gentleman John. Yes. Gentleman Johnny, Johnny Carey, and a wonderful, wonderful man, and his, his, his workhorse was Tommy Cavanagh, the trainer. He was wonderful. I mean, he made us all laugh, and Jeff Whitefoot and Johnny Quigley were always shoving and pushing each other to yeah. in, in sprint in little sprints. And Forest was a very happy club. And uh, but but as soon as I talked to Peter Taylor, he sold me on on Derby County, and uh, I met him at the cricket field several months before they came in for me. And he said, "How long are we going in for the centre half?" and the center forward, and then we're coming in for you. That it all planned out. So I, I kept on doing my job at Forest, didn't talk about the, the, the tapping up, which is I was tapped up, obviously. <laughs> so all of a sudden they signed John O'Hare and Roy McFarland, and they obviously stuck to their words, and I go, hey, these guys have got a plan here. So when when they called me to say, they, Johnny Carey told me that they'd agreed a deal, I met with Peter Taylor, uh, we walked around the old baseball ground at 10 o'clock one night for about four times, and uh, and I agreed to sign for Derby. And, uh, but I, I, I have really good feelings about Forrest, and I was very blessed that I played for Wolves, Forrest, and Derby, all in a radius of about 40 miles. Yeah. You know, I've had I, I a, a good life, and I yeah. feel very blessed that I was from a poor town, from a poor family, uh, born in the middle of World War Two. And uh, you know, basically lived the dream, and then coming to coming to America was not on the cards. But then we lost our son, our beloved yeah. son Matthew, yeah. and our world was turned upside down. And then I came to America, so uh, it's it's all worked out nicely. It certainly has. And you, you got a special mention uh, at Brian Clough's memorial service at, at Pride Park, and I don't know whether you know that, but it really showed just how much. Brian thought of you. It was when the the former England cricketer Jeff Boycott was paying tribute, and I'd like to play you a little snippet of it, if that's okay. Okay, um, that's so, lovely. That's so lovely. Have a, have a have a listen to this. They thought him arrogant, brash, forthright, too opinionated, and yes, he was all of those things. But if they really listened to what he actually said when he was talking about football. Not the way he said it, he was nearly always right. He was provocative and fascinating, but he had a clear picture of the way he wanted his teams to play football, which was on the floor, passing the ball with great defence. 
He never asked players to do what they weren't good at. When I watched him one time at Derby, his teams, I saw this lad in the white boots on the left wing called Alan Hinton. And I said after the match, I said, he's pretty good, but I said, he's a bit frightened of tackling, you know. He says, hey, he says, I don't pay him to tackle. I pay him to pass that ball onto my centre forward's head so he can get goals. And he's bloody good at that. <laughs> that was a special moment at the memorial service. Well, that was, uh, he was very fond of Jeffrey Boycott. Uh, and Jeffrey Boycott would often come and uh, have dinner with the team the night before the game. And uh, uh, Brian was very fond of him. Of course, they, they're both Yorkshiremen, you know? Yes. And uh, cricket was a big deal to, to Brian. I mean, we used to play against uh, Spondon for charity. We'd play some games in Matlock. Sometimes we'd get some old Forest players to play with us. And I remember Sammy Chapman, who was a real character, who later came to play for me in uh, Tulsa, uh, alongside Roger Davis and David Nish and Steve Powell. Sammy Chapman playing cricket, he used to love to call Brian, Brian. <laughs> yeah. we, ne- we never called him Brian, we called him Boss. Yes. But, but Sammy, knowing it was a cricket match, and knowing he was playing for Forest and not for Derby, he used to call him Brian. <laughs> oh, and he, he used to laugh like crazy, and so and we all did. And he got away with it, did he? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, hey, tough, uh, you know, he wasn't always serious. He had no. a really humorous side to him. And, yes. uh, and of course, Peter Taylor used to wind him up sometimes. And Peter would tell him, you know, it's time for you to have some fun with the players. And, uh, uh, you know, you've been too serious for a few days. Now you've got to make them laugh. And, uh, and he did. Yeah. But it was good that, obviously, Clough wanted you to concentrate on what you were good at. You were two-footed. And, you know, he didn't care that you may not want to tackle. As long as you provided the goods for him on the pitch, that was what mattered. He used to say to the players, give the ball to Alan. He knows how to play. And uh, yeah. and if you, if you notice that the old films that are still on YouTube, thank you very much, I really... When I'm feeling a bit quiet sometimes, I'll, I'll, I'll watch YouTube and I'll see the Arsenal game and others, the Benfica game and uh, Sarajevo. I think I scored a, a rocket there. And uh, yeah. thanks to YouTube, they're still there. But, uh, uh, you know, Brian used to say, Archie, he can play, you can't. Uh, <laughs> just an Archie. Archie was a wonderful player for Derby County, Archie Gamble and for Forrest. But Archie was a tough kid from Scotland, and uh, I'm I'm sure uh, Brian enjoyed winding him up because the, the the more he insulted Archie, the better he played. <laughs> and and, and I'm, I'm sure yeah. uh, Peter and Brian used to sit in their office. Then they never really had an office, you know. It was the old boardroom, and uh, I'm sure they used to say. How can I make Archie mad? How can I make Archie really angry? <laughs> and uh, Archie could run. He ran every every mud hole. And yeah. I remember one time his shoe came up in the mud and he picked it up, put it back on and, and continued to run. But, you know, there were some great characters there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. McFarlane was a wonderful player and he and Todd were the perfect balance. Yeah. You know, Todd was right side, Roy was left side. They're both comfortable on the ball, both very good defenders. Toddy had that little bit of extra speed. Roy was wonderful in the air, both defensively and offensively. And 
and and and, and of course, then he signed David Nish. You were famous, though, for wearing those white boots, weren't you? Long before the fancy footwear of today's players. What what inspired you to do that originally? Uh, money. They gave me a thousand pounds. Really? At the, at the time when I was making £110 a week basic pay. Wow. Now, I know we used to get some bonuses, but to be given a thousand pounds to wear white boots, and don't forget being a winger, I could get away with it. You know, yeah. I think Toddy, Toddy tried to wear them once, and so did Tommy Smith at Liverpool, but they didn't look right. <laughs> uh, but for me, being a quite a finicky player yeah, with some flair things today I, I i love i love my wife and i watch the, the english premier league and and i see pink boots and yellow boots and i go i don't know whether that would have uh, happened in my day because i used to take some stick on the road yeah you know being by the touch line in my white boots was an easy they knew the fans knew i could hear them when they were having a go at me you know yes yeah but, no I, I got a thousand pounds which right. you could buy a house but you right. could buy a beautiful house for about three in those days yeah fantastic yeah so it was well worth it and and you could get away with wearing white boots with with that yeah. talent couldn't you yeah you've mentioned the book obviously it's called triumph and, and tragedy and i noticed on social media that you'd commented uh, it was a bit stressful writing an autobiography because it, it can bring back good memories but but also some very sad ones it must have been tough it's it's been tough for my family uh we want it to be accurate uh i i'm blessed i have a wonderful ghostwriter named charlie bamforth uh who's a wonderful wolves fan he's an englishman he's a he's a retired distinguished professor at uh UC Davis in Sacramento, yes, and and he just loves, uh, you know, he's doing it, he's doing it for free. He just loves soccer, and uh, uh, it's been very stressful. We wrote a chapter about our late son, which was the toughest. Yes, uh, uh, a lot of tears and, yeah. and memories, and uh, you know, but my grandson is named after Matthew. He's called Matteo. <laughs> uh, he's just—he's just graduated from Santa Clara University, ready to go to law school, and uh, you know the whole family. Yeah. We still—we still talk about our son with great affection, and uh, yes. he's still missed. Uh, but it was tough on the Derby County players as well because you know none of them. Thank God, none of them lost a child. I, I'm very—I'm very close friends with Bob Wilson. Uh, who's done the foreword for my book. Yes. Uh, he and his wife, Megs, they lost a child as well. So, but, you know, it's painful. Children are supposed to bury their parents, you know? Yeah. And uh, and I think that's why we came to America. But I, I think he's shining on us because we've done very well for yeah. ourselves and we're very, we're very happy uh, with life and... Uh, just getting older, that's all. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure he is looking down on you with, with pride. Uh, I mean, it must have been an awful time, but but you were grateful following Matthew's passing at, at nine years old that you got lots of support from teammates and friends and even complete strangers, I understand. Well, what's pretty normal is, you know, you try to give back a little bit, and I... 
I was the leader of uh, the Derbyshire Children's Hospital League of Friends, and we raised £50,000 to build a physiotherapy unit. And, uh, you know, one time we did a 20-mile walk around the Ring Road, and people were coming out of their houses, and some people gave me £5, and they said, that's for the hospital for the kids. Uh, they got my kid better when he was in there and or she was in there. Uh, so the, out, the outflow of, of love for my family, you know, we had a testimonial game, and uh, that was the inspiration of Stuart Webb, who was a wonderful general manager uh, at Derby County Football Club. And uh, everybody came out. Tommy Dock bought Manchester United, ah. uh, basically Manchester United players, uh, Great Britain 11. And uh, it, it was a very fine warm send-off and of course the book has made me think about that again and uh yeah uh and everything else but when your whole life's in front of you it's it's quite traumatic but it's but it's a good story and uh i've got some of my former players and friends and coaches they're all selling the book like our yeah. cakes which is which is wonderful and i'll tell you what it's a good story even though i'm blowing my own trumpet <laughs> and i think uh, thankfully, it's it, it's at the printer now, so there's no more changes. It, it should be a good read, anyway. Put it that way. It definitely will. There's a fantastic story to tell overall, including your move, of course, to the states and success in North American soccer. Do you miss your home in the Midlands? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a Midland boy. I'm a Midlander, yeah. and uh, I always will be. And uh, I treasure my upbringing. I treasure my time in Derby. We lived in Ockbrook in the same village with John O'Hare and Alan Durbin and their and their families. And uh, uh, the cricket field was up the road, and uh, the pubs were nice. Oh yeah, and uh, it 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 was a very special time. Not just from the playing point of view, but you know from from the family's point of view because we were all happy. And then of course the bombshell came that. Uh, uh, you know, Matthew wasn't going to make it. My career's about to come to an end. and But i got to tell you, you know, uh, Dave Mackay was the coach uh, when Matthew was really sick. And he and Stuart Webb found a way to pay me all the bonuses, even though I wasn't playing. And, of course, the European bonuses was as much as £750 for a win, you know, and I got all the money. And then, of course, uh, can, can we talk a little bit about... Tough and Taylor and uh, Dave Mackay and uh, Des Anderson, the way they left the club. Yes. Which, which just, uh, you know, bringing it up in my book makes me, makes me so damn angry. You must look back and, and just think what could have been, really, if, if they hadn't have resigned from Derby. Um, because there were so many protests, weren't there, at the time, including yourselves and the players. Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a letter that I wrote myself on behalf of the team suggesting we were going to... Re well, we, it was a resignation letter from the players. Everybody signed it. It just got sold on auction for £4,000. But I wrote yeah. it. And then, of course, what happened is we were going to go to Mallorca and not play. We were, you know, we were not going to play against Leicester on the following Saturday. And then... Uh, the guy that was in charge of the PFA, he phoned McFarland, our captain, and said, uh, if you don't play the game, there's a bit of a chance you might get done a lifetime ban. 
so we we played the game. Yeah. And the funniest thing happened. All of a sudden, there's nothing going on in the game. And the crowd starts cheering uncontrollable. And it was Brian Clough. Yeah. He found, yeah. He found a way to get in, into the next section to the Derby County director's box on the front row. And he got his arms in the air. And the crowd's going crazy yeah. in support of him. So Sam Longson... He wanted to get in on the act, so he gets up and they went, boo. You know, the problem was, Sam was on the FA committee. And looking back, when the FA committee were, they were jealous of Derby County Football Club because they were all chairman of clubs. Sam should have said, because they were saying, calm your manager down, he's talking too much. Sam should have said, I love it. I love it. We're top of the league, we're selling out. We just sold two years worth of season tickets uh, in advance. Uh, the crowds are going through the roof. We're always on the television. I love it. All of a sudden, Dave Mackay got the job. We have a meeting on the Monday morning. Dave Mackay made a brilliant speech. He said, gentlemen, uh, I know you don't want me as your manager. He said, I want this job. And uh, he said... I would be sick to my stomach if I read in the newspaper that somebody else had got the job when I'd been offered it. He said, so I, I need you to know, I know you all, I enjoyed playing with you. Brian Clough did resign. And in the end, he won the day. And then, of course, he struggled a little bit because there was an aftermath of the, the depression over Clough and Taylor leaving. But once we started to roll under Dave... We won the division again because Dave, Dave thought winning was easy. And, and of course, we had showboaters uh, who were wonderful. Francis Lee, Charlie George, Bruce Rioch was one of the best players I've ever seen. Uh, left midfield player, Rocket. Uh, Henry Newton, David Nish, Rod Thomas was an outstanding player. Uh, Colin Bolton was underestimated as a top goalkeeper. Kevin Hector was still there. I mean, it was a wonderful period of time for us all, but it's very painful where they are today. Very painful. Obviously, Cluffy looked back and said resigning when they did was absolutely crazy. He said that if they'd stayed, they'd have won everything for 10 years at least. Nobody could could have touched you. Is, is it right that he mentioned in his autobiography that as part of all the protests, you marched up and down with a large tearn above your head, saying, this, this is the only cup we're ever going to win from now on. Do you remember that? I can remember something about it. I mean, it's true. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, I mean, we were, I mean, we were having meetings and, uh, you know, Clough was uh, driving some of the meetings. And uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, if, if Clough would have said to the players, particularly the younger players, jump they just said how high you want me to jump looking at the present day alan what do you think of your, your three former clubs these days wolves derby and forest it, it's disappointing because the, the fans are wonderful all three clubs loyal used to success still go but it's all about getting the best players I was talking to paul hart a former forest player recently he was saying that if Clough was around, he would he would have adapted. His uh, eccentricities and, and uh, personality would still be there, but he would have adapted to, to the modern game. Um, absolutely, absolutely. How will you remember Brian? I remember him as a, as a winner. 
He never thought losing was on the cards. I remember him as a wonderful motivator. I I can still remember him as a good player when he when he got a horrible injury to end his career early. Yeah, big ego, uh, which everybody needs in the game. Otherwise, you, they're going to trample over you. Uh, he stood up for his players. He totally loved the fans. Puff was generous. Uh, he was a good father. Not just to his boys, but maybe to us as well, you know, in many ways. But uh, I will tell you one little story, which is remarkable. Yes. Uh, I, I I go to watch Forest play one day towards the end of his time there. And Archie Gamble was working for Brian. So I go in the boardroom after the game and I said to Archie, is there any way I can spend five minutes with the boss? So all of a sudden, Archie comes, come, come, he wants to see you. So I go in this little, in his office, he's got a, he's got a couch there. Yeah. He makes, he makes me sit by him. He holds my hand like he used to do with everybody. And I said to him, I said, you know, you got to be very proud boss of, uh, of your son, Nigel and Archie Gamble's son, uh, Scott. They all learned to play in that little shooting box at Derby. And you know what he said? There was one other nice little boy there as well, wasn't there? Which was my son, Matthew. We just shared a most remarkable story based on memory. Yeah. And uh, I I never forgot that. And uh, we had about 20 minutes and there was was several reporters there and he did get reported in the Daily Mail, but uh, he had a gentle side... Uh, and of course, as he got older, he was kissing people on the side of their face. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, you know, in today's world of a lot of affection, it would have been right up his alleyway because he really loved people. He did. He loved people. He did. I got a, a hug and a, a kiss on the cheek from him one time. And uh, yes, I'll never forget that. It was he must have liked you, Marcus. <laughs> I think he did. I interviewed I, him a couple of times, and uh, yes, uh, we, we got on well, <laughs> thankfully. He wanted done it. He, he wanted done it with Don Webby. No, not at all. No. Well, Triumph and Tragedy: The Alan Hinton Story, uh, written with Charlie Bamforth, is published by GP Books, and you can buy it by emailing GP Books at hotmail.co.uk and if you're in the States you can also get it by emailing uh, Allen at live.com and are, are you doing signed copies as well in the States Alan? Well I'm, I'm hoping to, I mean uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm almost 79 but I'm you know I'm still yeah. feeling fit I'm, I'm cancer free, I'm you know, I'm living on I'm living on bonus time. So fantastic. Uh, you know, I'd love to come over to England, and the first opportunity, I'll be over. Yeah. Well, I noticed you said on social media that you left school before you were 15 and went to the University of Life, as as you describe it. And uh, I think you you've graduated with honors. W- would you agree? Well, I, I do, and. Uh, <laughs> It's been wonderful, and uh, you know you can't do anything without people in your life. You know I've got a wonderful wife, I've got a wonderful daughter, I've got three great grandkids, and I've got I've got so many friends. Uh, not just here in Seattle, in Vancouver, BC, when I was at the Whitecaps, uh, I coached at Tacoma Stars for a while. They have good memories. 
Uh, and of course, my my playing days in England with Derby Wolves and Forest, uh, I, I can't believe I was so fortunate. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I got a lot of help from a lot of people, and uh, I got more help when I was a boy from the brick wall, the old-fashioned brick wall. <laughs> when you used to kick, I'll tell you what, yeah. all the kids today should find a brick wall. You can't find many of them anymore, but the ball always comes back to you from the brick wall, you know. Yes, you always get and, the pass. Uh, it, it, it's a wonderful way to get your two feet going. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, when I bump into the young soccer players today, or certainly the younger ones, the real young ones, I, I tell the parents, I go, do you know how to get your kid to kick with his other foot? They go, no. I go, bribe them. You've got to bribe them with some some candy, some sweets, <laughs> some uh, uh, some chocolate. Aww. Uh, and, uh, and it works every time. It works, yes. Well, Alan Hinton, thanks for joining us from Seattle and and sharing some wonderful memories as well. I've really enjoyed it. Well, so am I, Marcus, and uh, keep up the good work. 